Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast, your source for sports entertainment, incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. I want to hear from you. It's 855, the number four, G-A-R-T-E-N. Facebook and Twitter is how you get in touch with us. That is Sports Garden, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N. iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. Oh, yeah, guys, we are in playoff season. But I got to tell you, this is a time for sports bettors to sort of adjust their brains because... All you're going to see on television, all you're going to hear is constant barrage of what? NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, uh, golf, here we go. And you're starting to forget a little bit about Major League Baseball, and you could still make a lot of money on Major League Baseball. We're going to talk a lot of baseball on the show today. I do have a lot of stuff. I'll touch on the NHL, NBA if we have time. First up, though, we're going to talk about the New York Yankees. They are the circulating conversation. How far can they fall? How bad can they be? Will they be buyers or sellers? Well, who better to talk about that than Brian Houck? He's the author of The Baby Bombers, the inside story of the New York Yankees dynasty, co-author of Mission 27, a new boss, a new ballpark, one last ring for the Yankees core four. We've had him on before. Now he has a new book, The Bronx Zoom, inside the New York Yankees' most bizarre season. It's Brian Houck. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely. You know, before we get into uh, the Yankees' problems, <laughs> you know, I want to ask you about the book because it, it is pretty interesting. Everyone's kind of got their taste on what happened last year and, and all of that. So, you know, a lot of the Major League Baseball players are not complaining about really the effects of last year. For you, you were there. You were during it. You, you, you lived it. Did you think that there would be the effects of last year bringing into this year as you were going through it? I thought that there would be a hangover from the physical part of it on the baseball side because I figured that especially if you think about starting pitchers, they're such a creature of habit, and they, these guys build up to be ready for an opening day on April 1st, and then they, they have this long marathon of a season where they're supposed to have 180 or 200 innings, and nobody could do that last year. So I figured that because nobody even got close to the workload they were supposed to have, uh, I thought that pitching would be an issue this year, and it turns out I was completely wrong because pitching has been fantastic this year, and we'll see how that Uh, may be affected now with baseball cracking down on sticky stuff. And also, I think that there will be a second-half fatigue here where guys are just going to wear down because they didn't go through the reps that they were supposed to have last year that they expected to have because the pandemic didn't allow them to. Yeah, you know, that's something that I've watched. I'm going, okay, they they might be in shape right now, (laughs) but let's see what it is in the dog days of August. Let me ask you about the Yankees' mindset and the team's mindset. They were supposed to win. The betting favorite had them winning uh, the World Series last year, right? Them and the Dodgers, they were pretty out in front of it. Even in a shortened season, the betting odds were still New York Yankees were going to win it. Do they believe in their locker room? Maybe they might not say it out loud, but is there a belief in the locker room that because of COVID, they kind of got stripped of a year that they were supposed to be the team? Well, I I think that's certainly, uh, you could look at it that way, but in my eyes, They had a season where, yes, it was only 60 games, but they were such a hot and cold, streaky team. And I think a lot of that was due to these guys are, you know, veteran stars. They're creatures of habit, as I've said. And um, when you take people out of their daily routine, as we all did last year, you know, even 
you and I uh, being at home instead of going to our place to work, um, it's going to change things a lot. And I think that that was a big theme of the book is how uh, guys really struggle to kind of adapt to this new environment where nobody knew what the next day was going to bring. There was a period of time where the Yankees were in Philadelphia and they stayed in their hotel for three straight days and didn't have a game to play because uh, of a COVID exposure on the Philadelphia Philly side. And so then somebody came up with a bright idea that, all right, well, we could either go up to Yankee Stadium and have a workout against ourselves, or maybe we could turn the bus around to Baltimore and go play the Orioles. And that's something that would never happen in any other year. But because 2020 was what it was, Major League Baseball said, yeah, go to Camden Yards and go play against the Orioles. And they did that. But I, I think that that kind of not waking up and checking your cell phone and not knowing what the day was going to bring, I think that definitely took a toll on a bunch of guys. Yeah, you mentioned a bunch of guys. And the one guy that was so the Yankee hero, a lot of people saying, you know what, he's the future, not Aaron Judge, was Glaber Torres. And now he came into camp last year. I know because of COVID and everything else, whatever it might be, they all said, well, he was out of shape. And he sort of rounded into form by the time the end of the season came and certainly into the playoffs. This year, again, he seems lost. They're not blaming it on being out of shape. Do you think that a guy like Glaber Torres was a product of being lazy or just bad environment? Why did he come in out of shape and what is his problem right now? <laughs> well, I, I think the most glaring issue with Glaber is that you just haven't seen the power. This is a guy who had 38 home runs in 2019. He was tormenting uh, the Baltimore Orioles in particular. Every time he came to the plate, Gary Thorne would be broadcast booth. He would say, just walk him. We did not see that Glaber Torres last year. We saw him a little bit in the postseason when he hit over 400 and uh, was more productive. But I think he is kind of the poster child of this Yankee team in 2021 where it has just been consistently inconsistent and you know that the numbers on the back of the baseball card are there if these guys can get on hot streak they're supposed to be one of the best teams in the american league but you look at the uh, the run scored and they're near the bottom third of the league in terms of production and you just say all right well you're 66 games in now uh if it's not going to click now then when on the phone with brian Houck. Major League Baseball Network, and he's covered the New York Yankees for two decades, working MajorLeagueBaseball.com beat reporter. Uh, Brian, you know, look, I want to get into the problems and who's to blame and all that. But you, look, I follow you on Twitter, and you just wrote um, a good glass half full kind of scenario. So can you walk us through that? Because it is not all doom and gloom in Yankee land. They are a couple games over 500, right? They're in this thing. So... Is there something to look forward to before we go to the, the nonsense that is the bad? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. if you're looking for silver linings, uh, the silver lining is that you're not in that 20, uh, 2020 season where you only had 60 games because if you were, the year would be over already and the Yankees would be on the outside looking in. So they do have uh, time left on the clock to straighten this out. You know, I, I brought up a few historical comparisons teams that were uh, out of it and you know hovering around the 500 mark and then rallied to make the postseason with a strong second half and um, yeah I, I covered one of those teams uh, in 2007 um, that might be a pretty good comparison because that team kind of looked dead in the water it looked like the Yankees were uh, languishing under Joe Torre and then they ended up having a strong second half but that was uh, in a lot of ways because Alex Rodriguez had an MVP type year they had Jabba Chamberlain come out of nowhere and was an outstanding rookie out of the bullpen so they're going to need some things to go right here but I think the most important thing in the 2021 Yankees under Aaron Boone is they got to get the guys who are in the lineup 
to hit the way they're supposed to. And that's Gary Sanchez, who is warming up. Miguel Andujar is warming up. Those are good signs there. But you need the Glaber Torres, DJ LeMayhew, Giancarlo Stanton to really step it up. Aaron Judge has been uh, their most consistent offensive player to this point, and he's the one guy that you haven't wanted to pitch to. So uh, he can't do it all by himself. Yeah, does it give you got you hope? And Yankee fans, I'm a Yankee fan. Uh, should we have hope that Glasnow went down? Not not in a good way. We don't root for it. But now that he's gone, it's almost like okay, finally something finally went bad for Tampa, which it seems everything always goes right for them. Uh, you know, is that something that? In the clubhouse, they go, okay, wait a minute, we, we got an opening here. Or do you think guys don't even notice that and they just say, you know what, I just got to play the game, we just got to win today? Well, they definitely will notice it when they have to play Tampa Bay and uh, they go over their pitcher meeting and the, uh, the scouting reports and they don't have to deal with glass now. So you never root for injuries. And certainly the Yankees have had more than their share the last few years of that. So uh, they are definitely familiar with the idea of having to be in, in a next man up mode. But uh, baseball is a game of attrition for sure. And when you're going over a 162-game schedule, it's not necessarily how you start. It's how you finish up. And Brett Gardner said that the other day. And he said that, look, it is just the middle of June. Uh, we do have some uh, time left on the clock here. But every day that passes without a win is a missed opportunity. And so uh, they picked up one of those opportunities last night up against the Blue Jays in Buffalo. And they need to keep that going. Yeah, you know, the Blue Jays are a dangerous team. Uh, do you think that Tampa Bay is in the Yankees' head? I know you said, you know, the pitching scouting report, a lot of that was, you know what, they can't beat Tampa. Is Tampa that team? Instead of the Red Sox, I know the rivalry, is Tampa the team that New York has to look at? I can make a really good case that the Yankees' biggest rival right now is not the Red Sox, because historically, yeah, of course, it's the Yankees and the Red Sox. But right now, the team, look, the team they're chasing, the team that has ended their year, that has been a pain in their neck, that they have bad blood against, that's Tampa Bay. And so, um, yeah, Tampa Bay has really frustrated the Yankees in a lot of ways. Um, they had their number during the regular season last year. They ended their season uh, in that tw- weird, strange American League Division Series out in, at San Diego's Petco Park, where we uh, we get into that in the book, where they actually had to share the same hotel and uh, two teams that did not like each other very much. So, uh, of course, the most bizarre year in Yankee history ended that way with the Yankees and the Rays under the same roof. And, uh, yeah, I know I think that Kevin Cash, and certainly remember last year with him saying that they've got a whole stable of guys in their bullpen who could throw 98. And, uh, the whole uh, showdown between Aroldis Chapman and Mike Brasso that uh, ended the Yankee season and, of course, him buzzing him at Yankee Stadium. There's been a lot of bad blood between New York and Tampa Bay, and I would have to say that, yeah, that is the team to beat in the American League East. You look at the standings right now, and uh, nobody's ahead of them. All right, guys, we are continuing here with Brian. Ryan Houck, Major League Baseball Network, and go check out the new book, The Bronx Zoom, Inside the New York Yankees' Most Bizarre Season. Talks about COVID, the pandemic, how they navigated through the unforgettable 2020 campaign. It is a great read. Make sure you guys go check it out. But I got to ask you about this year. And the, the question is this, who is to blame? Is it Cashman or is it Boone? I am on the side of it's got to be Cashman. I don't love how this team is constructed, but Boone, he might be the fall guy if they don't start winning. Am I right? Well, yeah. I mean, I get asked that question a lot. Is Aaron Boone on the hot seat? And I I like to say that he's on a warm seat right now. But, uh, you know, Brian Cashman was on the Zoom with us yesterday and said that uh, 
look, if you look back over his history, he became the GM in February of 1998. And in that time, he has never fired a coach or manager in season. And he sees no reason why that streak is going to end now. So I think uh, that's a pretty good endorsement of where uh, things stand with Cashman and Boone. He said, you know, we made this bed. We're going to lay in it together. And, um, you know, so I think that, yeah, the, the target has to be if this team does not fulfill what we all expected them to do, which was to win the American League East, go make some noise in the postseason. And, you know, as you were mentioning before, Las Vegas picked them to win the pennant. Uh, if they fall way short of that, then I think the target has to be on Brian Cashman because uh, he's the architect of this team and he would want it that way. Um, you know, the, the field manager can only do so much with the players that he's given. And, you know, we all looked at this roster on paper and said, well, they're going to score a ton of runs and uh, hopefully they'll pitch enough to, to be competitive there, but really they'll be an offensive juggernaut and they just have not lived up to that. And so then you look at the way this roster was constructed. And to me, the most glaring deficiency this team has is um, to have a roster in Yankee stadium uh, with three fourteen down the right field line, classic uh, ballpark dimensions for a left-handed power hitter. They really don't have that guy on this roster. And that, that I think is the one thing where I scratch my head and I say, really, you were going to go into the season without a left-handed power hitter in this lineup? And, you know, I know that they say that guys like Judge and Stanton can drive the ball to the opposite field just as well, and that's true, but I'd like to see more balance in this Yankee lineup in the years to come. Well, one of the most, I can't believe you brought that up because it, it, it was crazy to me. I watched a Yankee lineup a couple of days ago with not one left-hander in it. It was like the first time in like 30-something years. Not one left-hander in the lineup, and besides that... Uh, you know, look, I teach Little League. In Little League, you need up-the-middle defense. Sanchez, not exactly the best defensive player. Uh, you, DJ LeMahieu is good at second, but at short, Glaber Torres, and they don't have a center fielder. Up-the-middle defense is lacking. No left-handed bat. Uh, to me, look, I know that Boone, it was a bad visual of him getting beat by his predecessor in Girardi because they wanted to go in a different direction. I get that. I think it's a poorly constructed lineup. You're right. No left-handed and no center fielder. Did we expect Aaron Hicks, who's never been healthy, to stay healthy this year? Yeah, well, they, they I think that's what they're really paying for here, the penalty. And I, I'm glad you brought up the whole idea of being strong up the middle because that's something that Cashman has talked about for years. I actually mentioned it to him yesterday. Uh, he, he has always talked about the importance of having a strong spine, which is catcher, shortstop, second base, and center field. And uh, this team is deficient, in uh, certainly in center field, because I think uh, they were banking so heavily on Hicks being in the lineup for 140, 145 games, uh, being their switch-hitting presence that could be could kind of break up those righties and, and have a left-handed bat there. Um, and also, I mean, they were counting on Hicks to be their number three hitter to open the season. He didn't hit well. Then he was injured, and now he's gone for the year. So now what do you do? And uh, I, I think that that's the one area where Cashman, if he's going to make a move, of course you're looking for starting pitching, but you got to look for a center fielder here because this rotating cast of Brett Gardner, Tyler Wade, and Aaron Judge, I mean, that's a Band-Aid solution. They need to find something more permanent. Which brings me to my next point. We're talking, of course, to Brian Houck, Major League Baseball Network, covering the New York Yankees. Uh, Brian Cashman says, we're deadline buyers. And there was some speculation if the Yankees fell too far out of it, right? So they're deadline buyers. Everyone's got them connected to Trevor Story. That's just flat out not a solution. Is Kettle Marte kind of 
just has to be the guy at this point? I mean, are they kind of banking on Kettle Marte being the guy? I think both of the Martes. Starlin Marte also as well. He would be a good fit, but Kettle Marte is the name that you continue to hear uh, brought up with this and connected to this team. You know, people light up my Twitter mentions and they say Charlie Blackman too. Um, You know, really – what this team needs is they need a competent center fielder, of course. They need somebody that they can trust to be out there and be out there every single day. But you don't necessarily need an all-star out there. It would be great if you can get one. But I think that the biggest key for this season is getting the guys who are already in that clubhouse to hit to the back of their baseball cards because there was a reason that we all picked this team to score a ton of runs and make a lot of noise in the AL East, and they have underperformed massively. Um, uh, They have definitely not lived up to what we thought they were going to be offensively. Now, if some of those guys start to come back to that, and we are seeing good signs, you know, DJ LeMay, who seems to come to life. He had another couple of hits yesterday, and uh, as I mentioned before, Gary Sanchez is on something of a hot streak here. Um, They're about to get Luke Voigt back because first base is a position where they have had almost no production this year they've gone through jay bruce who retired mike ford who got optioned and then designated for assignment and could be out of the organization and uh they've been putting chris gittens there he hit his first home run but that was his only hit so far in pinstripe so uh they put dj lemayhew there just out of necessity so uh if they can get a real first baseman back and voight did lead the majors in home runs last year if he can be that guy that could be a big boost to this lineup and if you look at gittens everyone said oh you know what he's got some power if you look at his minor league numbers he's got some home runs and then you look at travel distance over the fence it's one of the least travel distance home runs over the fence he's just clearing the fence which doesn't make me have any faith in him going anywhere outside of Yankee Stadium. We're on the phone with Brian Houck. Brian, okay, so we're talking about uh, trades. I guess, you know, Marte's the guy. Story to me is on the back burner. Um, where is their farm system at? I know we all know Jason Dominguez, right? And we know that they have relievers. <laughs> but who's the big names that people are going to want? Florial hasn't really flourished uh, down there. So who's the big name that teams are going to ask for? Yeah, Florial, uh, you know, if, if they thought he was ready, he'd already be in center field. And the last I checked, I looked up his numbers yesterday. He's still hitting under 200 and he's striking out a bunch. So he's one of those guys that I think has been affected by that pandemic year and not having a, a full year of competition there. Uh, Davey Garcia. Uh, one of their top pitching prospects, his, his numbers have not been good. I think he got knocked out in the first inning last night. So uh, that is not getting anybody hot to trot there. They do have a shortstop prospect that people are really high on, uh, Oswald Peraza. And um, they think he could be a piece either in New York or a piece, a, a trade piece. We saw him a little bit in spring training, and you could see the tools were there. Uh, a flashy defensive shortstop who uh, I don't know how much power he's going to hit for, but he looked like, kind of like a, uh, you know, I hate to use this comparison, but he looks kind of like a Jeter hitter. Um, you know, that is setting the bar very high for a Yankee shortstop. So I, I hesitate to do that, but there is some hype around him and they've just made a bunch of promotions to higher levels there, which to me suggests they are showcasing some of these guys. Uh, that's not to help the 2021 Yankees. That's to make them more enticing as they move from the low minors up to the higher minor league levels. And it's kind of seeing what these guys can do against a little better competition to, uh, you know, whet the appetites. Because Brian Cashman has said he's knocking on every door. There's not a GM in the game who has not heard from him at this point, um, floating ideas back and forth. So the Yankees are going to do something, um, whether they are actually buying or if they're going to 
uh, do try to do a rebuild on the fly. I think that depends a lot on how the next two or three weeks go. Well, you know, I, I look at even Ezekiel Duran. I, I think he's going to be excellent, but you're right, low minors. Sure, that's another name, yeah. What's the uh, what's the prevailing thought in the clubhouse? And this is my last question for Brian Houck. What's, my, uh, what's the prevailing thought in the clubhouse here about the sticky stuff and the situation that's going to happen on Monday? I, I think that they are, they've been well briefed on it. You know, you saw Garrett Cole kind of stammer through that uh, interview, and he was clearly very uncomfortable trying not to say the wrong thing and trying to speak without saying anything at all and I think you can read between the lines on that one uh, but the Yankees this is not coming as a surprise to anybody and I think that you know Jameson Tyone said something interesting the other day in that uh, he actually thinks this is going to benefit the Yankees because having a more level playing field he thinks that the talent that the Yankees have in that clubhouse will be able to shine without it uh, because they don't have many guys who have been using this stuff heavily and now clearly uh, the amnesty period is underway and guys are going to have to figure out another way to to make sure they can get out to the big league level but uh, if he's right about that and the Yankees do have enough talent to uh, continue being competitive there uh, then that would benefit them because I do expect that offense is going to go up as a result of this I think you're going to have pitchers who have been taken out of their comfort zone, who are having to do things a little bit differently than they have been in past years. And um, I think you're going to see some fastballs left over the plate, and uh, hitters will have the opportunity to take advantage of that. So we will see uh, exactly what the offensive split looks like, but I think it's going to jump run production around the majors. Yeah, I do too. Uh, lots of overs. Brian, thank you so much for all your time today. Great stuff as always. Guys, go check out the book, The Bronx Zoom, Inside the New York Yankees' Most Bizarre Season. Uh, reporter Brian Houck does a, just a tremendous job there. Look, if you've, if you've heard the show, I've talked about the Baby Bombers, the inside story. I've talked about Mission 27. Uh, this is now the third installment, the third book that you could go, yeah, make sure you guys go out there and go check it out and I think it's really interesting that Brian ended on the note where he said I do believe that scoring is going to be up around baseball and guys from a betting perspective that's what we do this is a sports show first but we're trying to look at that betting angle right from a betting angle perspective listen to the reporter that's in the dugout listen to this guy that is saying the prevailing thought in the dugout is that scoring will go up. The Yankees right now are one of the lowest scoring teams, the lowest scoring team in the AL, but the lowest scoring as far as team totals, as far as totals go. The lines makers are not going to adjust immediately. Starting Monday, Yankee overs might be the way to go. At least I'm going to start taking a look at it. Uh, if people in the clubhouse believe it, if reporters that are in the clubhouse believe it, if players on the team are basically saying, yeah, take a look at the overs, I'm looking at some overs, guys, and that's how we tie it all in. So thank you again to Brian. All right, guys, we'll be back right after this. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get you gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? What are the odds? Oh, yeah, guys, what are the odds? We're talking about a little Major League Baseball. How about the odds to win the American League East? These are interesting odds. Tampa Bay, plus 115. The Yankees, plus 300. Boston, plus 350. Toronto, plus 425. And the Baltimore Orioles are literally like 300,000 to one. 30,000 to one. 300 to one. I mean, it doesn't matter. Don't bet on Baltimore. That is what are the odds. I'm having a little fun with it, but it really is. 
300 to 1 for Baltimore. Uh, just erase them. I do find it interesting that the Tampa Bay Rays, who just lost their ace in Tyler Glasnow, are plus 115. And the Boston Red Sox, who have been battling neck and neck with them, are at plus 350. You know, the Yankees are in front of the Red Sox. People just expect the Yankees to turn this around, and I'm sorry. You know, I don't see the immediate turnaround. The Red Sox at plus 350. We know the Red Sox are going to make some deals. We know the Red Sox have the ability to really make big deals. We also know if they don't make any deals, they are getting Chris Sale back. And Tampa Bay, we love Tampa Bay because they continue to plod on and keep going and keep going. They are getting a little bit of offensive help if you really believe in Wander Franco, which most people do. But losing their ace and they're still plus 115, that's an interesting scenario. I'm just throwing it out there. So let, let's talk about some trades, okay? Because I know trades are on the mind of everybody, and trades do they do impact the betting market when we're talking about making bets and what what will happen to the odds and where everything is going when guys are going to be traded. So when we're talking about the betting markets and whatnot, you have to kind of have foresight to think, all right, who is in the position to make a move? Who is going to make that move? Because a lot of guys, a lot of teams, I should say, they're in positions to make moves, but maybe they won't go and pull the trigger. And let's take a quick peek at some of the teams here. Now, the San Francisco Giants have... Some pressing needs. They need offense. Now, you can tell me that Joey Bart's going to come up, and that'll add a a little bit of pop, sure. San Francisco has one of the worst uh, minor league systems. Now, you can't deny the success of San Francisco and what they've done this year. But does San Francisco believe in themselves? Does San Francisco believe that they should trade? They they have two or three really good prospects, and then it kind of falls off the mark. Do they trade one of their absolute cornerstone guys? It's just not the San Francisco way. I'd be shocked if San Fran goes out there and makes a huge move. They're more of the team that, you remember the Oakland A's used to do? They made little tiny moves that at the time didn't look great, and then all of a sudden, you know, turned out to be good. When when Oakland did make huge moves, trading their number four batter in the middle of a pennant race, I've argued about that for years. When they have made huge, gigantic moves, it's backfired. I don't think San Francisco does it. The Dodgers' problem is they're injured. Now, can the Dodgers go make a move? Yeah, they have the farm system to make moves, and I expect them to. But they don't necessarily have to, and neither does San Diego, who San Diego is in another position where they're saying to themselves, you know what, fully healthy, I think we're going to be okay. Just get us into the playoffs. You look at Milwaukee, Milwaukee needs a bat. But again, not an organization to go out and make a huge move. You look at... A guy like a Trevor Story. Well, they just went out there and got their new shortstop. Why? Because they don't want to have to pay Trevor Story for a rental, although this is a team that does pay for rentals. We know that. We remember Zach Granke. remember, you know, the fielders. They'll, they'll pay for rentals. The Cubs? The Cubs are supposed to be sellers. People are talking about Craig Kimbrell potentially selling Craig Kimbrell. Cubs are our first-place team. But do the Cubs believe, you know what, our farm system's a little weak, Let's go out there and and try to maximize on who we have. The Reds and Cardinals are in the same position. The Cardinals need to be a buyer. They need to go get an arm. They have to. 
And they have plenty of farm system to do it. The Reds, meanwhile, everyone thought they were going to be sellers. They're hanging in here. But, oh, boy, do they have big-time big selling chips. Luis Castillo's turning his season around, right? Um, he had a seven, uh, seven or an eight ERA, I should say, coming into the month. And now the last four or five starts, he's looked good. His strikeouts are still down, which is a problem. But he's looked okay. Someone would buy him and probably overpay for him. You have guys like Nick Castellanos having a absolutely superior year. Guys would overpay for him. You have guys uh, on the Reds that, yeah, they'd be sellers, but again, where's the buyer? The you know Obviously, the Pirates, Colorado, Arizona, Miami, Washington, they'll be sellers. Atlanta should be a buyer. Philly should be a buyer. The Mets should be buyers. It's just not like them. Atlanta might make themselves a buyer because of what happened to the idiot in left field. They might say, you know what, we need to go get someone. And we've seen them make those kind of moves before, but at the detriment of what? I feel like Atlanta feels like, you know what, we have the team, but they just have to perform. And Philly, Philly's always ready to make a move, but Philly's made almost too many moves. The Mets, the Mets constantly say they're going to do something big, constantly make the offer to do something big, and then constantly come up lane. Texas is a seller. Minnesota, very good seller. Detroit's probably a seller. Kansas City's falling into that sell mode. Baltimore's a seller. Who's the buyers? And Seattle... Probably a seller, even though they're kind of in this thing. The Angels are a buyer. Make no mistake about it. They know they're getting Mike Trout back. They're about 500. They are a buyer, but they need a big-time starting pitcher. Houston and Oakland, I don't expect them necessarily to sit on their hands, but they're probably not going to be a lot of tinkering going on. And the same thing with the White Sox. They know, hey, we have a possibility of getting Eloy Jimenez back, you know, after they lost Robert and Jimenez. The Indians, I don't believe the Indians believe in themselves. I don't think Cleveland's a seller. But I certainly don't think they're a buyer. Toronto needs a an ace. They have the farm system to do it. I expect Toronto to make a move, but the problem is they're staring up at two or three teams in front of them. Yankees, whether they're in front or behind, it's a tough spot for Toronto to go out there and say, we're going to absolutely go get rid of our good young talent this year. But we don't really believe we have a chance to win it all this year, and we're building something for down the road. You know, I keep hearing everybody talk about you know all their young guys. Wouldn't you love to save them? Because their young starting pitching is good. Manoa's good. Pearson's good. But they're not quite ready this year. Toronto's a year early. The Yankees, well, boy, Cashman says they're buyers. A lot of people saying they're sellers. Yankees are going to be in a tough spot. They're going to have to make some decisions. Boston is most certainly a buyer on the market. I think Boston is really impressed with what they've done this year. And I think that they see the opportunity with Tampa. Tampa should be a buyer. I don't know if they will be, though. They see the opportunity. So that's kind of the buyers and sellers here. I expect Boston to be a big-time buyer. I think Boston is going to really make an aggressive push here. They are going to be the buyers. I think San Francisco should be. I think Milwaukee should be. But I don't have a lot of confidence they will be. The teams that are the not the obvious sellers, I think Cincy sells this thing, man. I do. I think they kind of blow it up. I think that they sell it. Um, I, I do believe that Seattle, even though they're about 500, I think Seattle would be in sell mode. I think the Royals would be in sell mode. Um, and I do believe that there's a, there's a possibility. I don't believe right now, but there is a possibility the Yankees will be in sell mode. You know, I, I've 
heard Brian Cashman say we're buyers. I know the Yankees are about 500, right? So they're not dead in the water. But if this goes into July 4th, July 15th, right around the All-Star break, and the Yankees are 500, but they're staring up six, seven, eight games behind Tampa, six, seven, eight games behind Boston, maybe a game or two behind Toronto. they got to be real with themselves. The problem about the Yankees being sellers is that, you know, who are they selling? Sanchez? What are they getting for him? Pennies on the dollar. Clint Frazier? Pennies on the dollar. Do you go crazy and you, you go get rid of a Glaber Torres? Well, then you're going to have to go pay Trevor Story like $200 million or more. And speaking of $200 million, Aaron Judge, right? Do they listen to Do they listen to trade offers for Aaron Judge? I don't know if a fan base can recover from that. You know, Aaron Judge is a guy that he's in a tough spot. 30 years old, constantly hurt, big body, but man, when he's on the field, he produces. Oh, boy, does he produce. And he's kind of the only guy that Yankee fans have right now. Yankee fans have never been enamored with Gary Sanchez. Luke Voigt is not here long enough. DJ LeMayu, Yankee fans love him, but again, aging guy. Glaber Torres, Yankee fans are, are anti him at this point. Gio, yourself is kind of a, a Yankee guy, but not overly. It's Aaron Judge, maybe DJ LeMayu, and then the pitching, which obviously it's Garen Cole. Can you sell to a Yankee fan base getting rid of Aaron Judge? I don't think you can. I think the Yankees' backs are against the wall, and they almost have to trade. Uh, they almost have to sign him. Forget about trading. But you've heard the, the Aaron Judge rumors. All right, so let's see who the are the available guys that you know what is going to fetch the most back in a realistic position. Obviously, I mentioned Trevor Story multiple times. I thought Trevor Story of the Brewers was the absolute best fit. I thought Milwaukee could not only win. Uh, the division, I thought they could be a World Series contender if they added Trevor Story. Doesn't look like they're going to go do that. It just doesn't seem like they will. So who else needs a bat? Well, San Francisco needs a bat, but they're not going to do it because they got Brandon Crawford there. And you could say, well, there's no comparison, but Brandon Crawford's having a great year. The New York Mets need a bat. Well, you know what? They just signed Francisco Lindor. Trevor Story's not going there. Does Philly do it? With Didi Gregorius there? Knowing that you have to pay Bryce Harper all that money, and now Trevor Story? No, I don't see that. Atlanta won't do it with uh, what they have. Nope, no chance. The Angels? Angels, I guess, could use them, but that's not happening, guys. They're not paying that much money. Oakland makes a lot of sense as a rental, right? I mean, the Oakland A's make the most sense, but he's only going to be a rental. You look at the White Sox, they don't need him, Tim Anderson. Cleveland, I don't think, are buyers. The Yankees, well, t- Tampa doesn't need him, and Boston won't go get him because of Bogarts. The Yankees make a lot of sense. The Yankees would just have to really be in a position where they're ready to shuffle everything up. Because you got Glaber there. You told me he's your shortstop. He's not. He's a second baseman. But then what do you do with D.J. LeMayu? Oh, wait a minute. We'll take LeMayu, throw him back on first base. All right, what happens when Luke Voigt comes back? You know, the Yankees are a poorly built team, and I think that's part of the problem. So I would say the big teams, I think the Yankees will always be in play. I personally can't imagine that the New York Yankees will go get him. And on a betting angle, by the way, here, I'm seeing odds that Trevor Story to the Yankees is the favorite. I don't see it. I can't imagine that. I don't think he goes to the Yankees, okay? Is there a slight possibility Cleveland? Sure. I don't think that's happening. 
All right? You go down the list and you say, Mets don't, don't have a spot for him. Philly, maybe. Atlanta won't be there. Milwaukee, I, maybe they still take a shot at him. Milwaukee made the most sense to me. Made them plenty of sense to me. St. Louis makes a lot of sense. St. Louis needs a shortstop. St. Louis could use a bat in that lineup. St. Louis doesn't have that big, overwhelming guy. And imagine putting Arenado and uh, Story back-to-back, back-together. I think St. Louis makes a lot of sense, but I haven't heard too much. And by the way, St. Louis really needs a starter. They need to concentrate on their needs. So to me, it's the Bay Area. It's the Bay Area where I believe San Francisco would benefit the most from Trevor Story, but I believe that Oakland is probably going to land him. He makes sense going to Oakland, being the rental, and not having to pay a lot. Oakland won't have to give up their big boys. They won't have to give up their big chips because Colorado's not getting those big chips in return. So that's Trevor Story. How about Max Scherzer? Well, everybody in the league wants Max Scherzer, okay? And by the way, Oakland is the number two on the betting line. Max Scherzer, everybody wants him, okay? And he, again, a guy that's had some history of injuries, a guy that is older, but he's performing remarkably right now. Would he look good with the Dodgers? My goodness, that would be unbelievable. And I think the Dodgers would overpay to go out there and get that. I don't think that they do, though. I think they would, but I don't think they do. I think they believe, you know what? We have enough pitching in this spot. We're deep enough. We're okay. I know May. I know Goslin got injured. Uh, do you believe in David Price? No, but when you get to the playoffs, I think the Kershaw-Bueller 1-2 with Urias, they're probably the three. I-, I think they feel comfortable there. San Diego? San Diego could use him, but I think San Diego's in a very similar position as the Dodgers saying, you know what, I think we're okay with what we have. San Francisco could certainly use them, but again, does San Francisco have the equity and the belief? Now, you tell me that you're going Scherzer 1, Gaussman 2, Scalfani 3, and all of a sudden, I'm looking at San Francisco in a different light. I think San Francisco should be making all kinds of moves. All kinds of moves because I think they could win. I believe in San Fran. I don't know if they believe in themselves. Milwaukee's not going to go do that. They have the one-two at Woodruff, Burns, and then, of course, Peralta. The Cubs, well, are they buyers or sellers? I've heard they're sellers, 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 sellers. Now, all of a sudden, what, they're buyers? Am I supposed to just believe they're going to buy? I don't know about that. And then St. Louis. St. Louis is the team where Mike Scherzer should go. He's from the area. He should be there. St. Louis is the perfect spot. Now, I don't think that they would trade him to the Braves. I don't think they would trade him to the Mets. Go to the American League. You look at Tampa, even though they lost Glass now, I don't think they're paying for a Scherzer, although that would be an interesting move. Boston will certainly kick the tires there. The Yankees should be all in on that. I know they need hitting, but you give me Cole and Scherzer 1-2, especially with the Severino problems. Yankees should be all in there. Oakland, as a rental, I don't know. I don't think they're going to be in there. Houston, they're always a player, and you put him in Granky. Houston's always dangerous. And then the Angels. To me, the Angels and the Cardinals are the two teams that need Max Scherzer the most. But the two teams that I think will be the biggest players here, I think the Yankees will be a massive player. And I really do think you're going to hear some kind of rumblings out of Boston and Tampa. 
probably Yankees Boston. Max Scherzer, I believe, is going to go. Then you get into um, some other guys, like an Adam Frazier. He'll probably be dealt. You look down the list and you say, uh, Charlie Blackman, maybe he'll go. John Gray, I think, is definitely going to go. And all the teams I just mentioned, the starter, John Gray, he's not an ace. But on a championship team, he could be a, a four, maybe a three. Jermaine Marquez, I'm listening. I'm picking up the, the phone if I'm the Rockies for Jermaine Marquez. Nick Castellanos, Luis Castillo. Yeah, these guys can certainly go. Luis Castillo is a guy that I think people will still almost overpay for. Castellanos is a guy that to, to take a look at. Um, you start to go down the list and you start to say, all right, Kansas City has a couple of intriguing ones. Matthew Boyd for Detroit. He should be on the move. An, again, another guy... On a championship team, he fills in as a three. He's pitched fine this year. He's okay. The team that's interesting is Minnesota. Because you could go and pick anything you need out of Minnesota. Want a good defensive shortstop? Angelton Simmons is your guy. You want a frontline starter? Well, Jose Barrios could fit that bill. You're looking for just guy to eat some innings? What about Jay Happ? What about Michael Pineda? Can Pineda be a three? Yeah, he certainly can. Oh, you want bullpen? Hansel Robles. Here you go. Oh, yeah, you, you want Alex Colomay? Yeah, there you go. There's some bullpen help as well. And then you look at the American League teams that might need a bat. What about Nelson Cruz? What about Nelson Cruz jumping in the middle of that Oakland lineup? Intriguing. What about Oakland uh, grabbing a, a, another guy? Oakland grabbing a guy like a Jose Barrios. That's intriguing, too. What about Nelson Cruz jumping on a team like the Tampa Bay Rays? So... I think when a team finally admits that they're out of it, like the Minnesota Twins should come to that conclusion, the possibility starts to become endless. And you have to keep in mind the swings that this can have. Is Adam Frazier going to make a swing on the betting market? Absolutely not. He could be a beneficial guy. Matthew Boyd, probably not a swing guy. Uh, even Jose Barrios, probably not a swing guy. Nelson Cruz's bat can swing some odds. A guy like... Uh, you look at and you look at Max Scherzer, he's swinging some odds. And then you look at a guy like Trevor Story, certainly swinging some odds. But that's all in the future. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet, bet to the future. Bet to the future. All right, guys, we're talking a little Major League Baseball, but let's go bet to the future on football. Who will win Comeback Player of the Year? Well, the odds are out. Leading the charge, Dak Prescott plus 175. Saquon Barkley comes in at 6-1. to one. Joe Burrow is also 6-1, to one, as is Christian McCaffrey. Nick Bosa 7-1. And Julio Jones 14-1. That is bet to the future. Hey, guys, a little, sprinkle a little football in here. I mean, look, uh, I, I don't know if any of these guys... Julio Jones played a lot of the season... Right? I mean, Joe Burrow played some of the year. Saquon is probably a good pick. McCaffrey, I, I don't I don't know, man. I, I know he missed a lot of time. I, Nick Bosa missed like the whole year, but it's going to be hard for a defensive guy. Dak Prescott at 175 just makes the most sense because he's got ridiculous weapons around him. He's going to put up impressive numbers just because he's in that kind of offense that they have to. It makes sense. Dak Prescott plus 175. I will touch on a couple of other NFL notes here uh, before we get into my thoughts on the NHL and NBA. There are times to listen to off-season chatter, and there are times to not listen to off-season chatter. Most of the time, it's don't listen. You have a lot of coach speak out there. So stories came out about um, four quarterbacks here. 
and I, I got to break it down between let's do let's play a game between you know, is it something that we should pay attention to or not? We used to play the game Real or Fugazi, and we'll, we'll continue with that. So the first story comes out about Trey Lance, and teams say, oh, listen, you know, he, he's got a chance to compete. Oh, we want him to be in a position to compete for a starting job. We want him to compete for that. Oh, he's going to compete. And people go, oh, wait a minute. Trey Lance, he could compete for a week one start. Oh, you can hear the silence. And people go, oh, man, Trey Lance is going to start week one. Oh, he's got a chance to start week one. Oh, he's more talented. Guys, calm down. This is Fugazi, okay? This is fake news. This is coach speak. There's no way Trey Lance is starting game one unless Garoppolo and probably another backup go down. They, of course, are going to build this up. You want to hear about it. You want to talk about your number one shining star, the guy you moved up in the draft, the guy you took really early, the guy that you love. You want to talk about him competing for number one because you want to see his best. You want to see him at his best, and you are hoping that he will compete for the number one. But you're not throwing him out there. There's no way San Francisco is putting this kid out there. He has almost no college starts under his belt. So that's just it's just not happening, okay? All the conversation about how good he might be, and you're going to hear, you're going to hear this kid pumped up because that's what they need to do in year one. Because he's not going to see the field for a couple of weeks. He might not see the field all year. If he does, I'll say week 10 or on, unless a Garoppolo injury, Trey Lance isn't seeing the field. So this year is a building process, okay? You want to build this kid up, build him up, build him up, build him up, build him up, build the excitement up, build the fans up, build the players up. Oh, here we go, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. But he's never going to see the field. You know, I coach Little League, okay? And there are times where there's a runner on first and a guy at shortstop in Little League you know, we'll get the ball. And I could tell him, listen, if you just step on second base and throw it at first, we got ourselves a double play, okay? But we're still in the stages of, hey, guys, not everybody jump on top of, of each other and wrestle the ball away, right? We're still at the stage of, okay, make an accurate throw to first base. So I can say all day long, hey, man, you know, he had a chance for a double play. Yeah, he had a chance. Wasn't going to happen. So this is a learning experience. Get it in your head that coach speak is going to be out there. More coach speak, Cam Newton. Oh, Cam Newton looks so much better than last year. Oh, last year's training camp. Oh, he looks so much better. Oh, world's better. Marketably better. Cam looks better. Well, yeah. He's finally in camp. He's got a routine. He's got a year under your offense, which is historically a tough offense to learn. Cam Newton's going to look better, of course. And what are they going to say? He looks worse. They're not going to say it. So Belichick comes out and says he looks better. Of course he looks better. He's had a year in your system. Last year was COVID. He wasn't in camp. Then the facility shut down. Of course he looks better. Let's not read too much into this. And going back to the Lance thing, listen, there's no way Mac Jones was starting game one anyway. This is Cam's show, at least for a little while. Mac Jones is the future. There's no way. Doesn't make any sense. Don't pay any attention to this, right? Wizard of Oz, do not pay attention to the man beyond the wall. Don't pay attention to the coach speak about a star quarterback. That was going to be a quarterback anyway. They're in their positions. Trey Lance, not starting week one. I don't care how much he wants to compete for it. He's not starting week one. And Cam Newton, oh yeah, guess what? He's week one starter. And he's going to look a lot better. So build him up. Build Trey Lance up. Build Cam up. You're our guy. We love you. We always loved you. We never even drafted Mac Jones. We love you. You're going to be the guy. This is their 
job. This is what they're supposed to do. Then you have the other side of the equation where you go, well, what the hell are you doing? And I'm talking to you, offensive coordinator or passing game coordinator, because they get fancy in Jacksonville under Urban Meyer, Brian Schottenheimer, who said, well, we're not going to name a starting quarterback right now. All right, in a way, I get it. In a way, you don't want to give the kid anything for free. In a way, you want to go, listen, you know what? You're still a kid. You got to earn your keep, even though you're the number one pick in the draft. You got to earn your keep, even though you're the most highly touted prospect <laughs> since Andrew Luck or maybe John Elway. You got to earn your keep, Trevor Lawrence. All right. You know, I could get with a lot of old school mentality type of things. I, I am an old school guy myself. I could get with the idea of, you know, well, you got to earn it. Oh, we're not giving away nothing for free here, right? We're gonna, I could get with some of that. Just say Trevor Lawrence is the guy, right? I mean, would it be the worst thing if he said, look, we drafted him number one. Yeah, we're going down with the ship with this guy. We're, we're, he, he's our guy. Would that be the worst thing? Because he's going to start week one. So we got a lot of coach speak out there. And then we have something that is not coach speak, guys. It is reality. And Bears fans, I'm with you. I'm a Bears fan. It hurts, but it's true. And guess what? Besides it even being true, it's probably the right decision. And that is Matt Nagy came out and insists Andy Dalton is the week one starter. And he's going to be the week one starter. Chris Collinsworth uh, you know, asked him, is there any way Justin Fields would start week one? Matt Nagy looked at the camera and said, no, no, Andy's our starter. And that was it. I mean, from day one, they've said Andy Dalton is the starter. Remember, they put out QB1 on Twitter and people lost their minds. Justin Fields looks amazing. He is a guy that's got the groundswell of the fans. He's making passes downfield. The writers, the beat writers go, oh, man, I don't know. I got to tell you, I haven't never seen anything like that. Even Trubinsky didn't look like this. People are going crazy about Justin Fields, and Fields is clearly the better guy. But do you want to start a guy's career on the road, Sunday night football, a seven-point underdog against potentially the best defense in the NFL in the Rams? And the best defensive player in the NFL and Aaron Donald in your face? Why would you start him there? Why would they put him in a position to lose? There's no reason for that. Andy Dalton is the week one starter, not because he's better than Justin Fields, but because this is how you handle young guys. There's also the idea that, uh, you know, you need an excuse if you're Matt Nagy. If you come out of the gate and you look bad, Let's say you go 0-4, 0-5, something like that, 1-4, 1-6, whatever it might be. Wait, 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 wait. Don't fire me, Ryan Pace, because I was bringing along your future guy at a slow pace. Let me have some time with Fields. I'll start him next week. Let me have some time and watch what I could do with a quarterback. It gives you the backup. It gives you that, that security blanket. So I never expected Justin Fields to start week one, no matter how good he looks. Because it's the Rams. It's on the road. It's against Aaron Donald, and it's in prime time. All right, let's get to a little NHL, guys. Um, you know, I made the proclamation that whoever won the Vegas and Av series was going to win it all. I'm not backing off of that. You know, you know, Vegas looks good. I get it. I am just so impressed with Tampa. They lost the game. I know. Look, they're they're in a tough series. Let's just say that. But it's hard not to like Vasilevsky when he's Vasilevsky, right? And it's hard not to like Tampa when everything is clicking. I think Tampa Bay might be 
that formidable opponent if they could get by the Islanders, which I think they will. I think they could be that formidable opponent. I think it's going to be really tough. I'm not backing off my statement because I made it, and I made it full well knowing that Tampa was there. But the every single game that I watch Tampa, I go, ooh, that's going to be a problem for Vegas. Oh, that's going to be more of a problem. Or Montreal, but that's going to be a problem, right? That's going to be a problem. Uh, my take on the NHL is that we're going to get a, a fun finals this year, even if it's not what everybody sort of wanted, right? I, nobody wanted Vegas to be here. I get that. Um, nobody really likes a repeat champion, especially in hockey. So if Tampa Bay gets there. But we have a, you know the possibility of having a good Stanley Cup Finals no matter what. So enjoy it. Real quick, on to the NBA in the last final minutes here. Uh, I mean, ridiculous. Ridiculous is how I would put this postseason. The NBA had an opportunity to kind of capture everything and their injuries and problems and protocols and everything else has thrown it off beat. Right? Harden's down. Irving's down. AD was down. LeBron was down. Kawhi's down. All injuries, all problems, all situations. I mean, even Denver. Everyone's going, yeah, Denver lost, but if Murray, if Murray, right? There's always ifs in this whole thing. Well, if, if AD, yeah, maybe if. Well, if Harden and, and Irving, yeah, maybe. Well, if Kawhi, yeah, you're right. Now, if CP3 in a ridiculous protocol situation of a guy that's not even at risk, maybe at the end of the day when, when we're all sitting back and we all just say, hey, you know what? I asked my partner uh, in Las Vegas, Tim Unglesby, about this this weekend because Tim last year before all the championships was adamant and he said, every championship will be tainted. Everyone's going to be tainted. I don't care. Uh, that's what he, he, his opinion was. Mine was, I kind of want to see how they play out. And I do believe that the Dodgers championship is tainted. 162 was not played, and I think that's important. I do believe that the Lakers championship was painted. Look, I mean, come on. There's no travel. You're in a bubble. That is clearly tainted. I wasn't so harsh about hockey. You know, I could understand it. So he called it first, and, and all right, I understand last year was tainted. We had the conversation about this year. Are this year's championships tainted? I don't think Major League Baseball will be tainted. I don't. They're going to go through the 162, even though there are some kind of COVID hangovers and whatnot. I don't think it's going to be tainted. I don't think the NHL is going to be tainted this year because, again, it was a slightly shortened schedule, but the playoffs are so long and the good teams kind of rose to the top. There will be NHL purists out there that say they didn't like the divisions, and sure, okay, there's an argument there. I'm listening. But the NBA title this year is 100% tainted. And I don't care who wins it. It's tainted. All these problems, all these protocols, all these injuries, all these... We were told this year that the regular season didn't matter. We were told by the Lakers and obviously the Nets, the regular season didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. How can you not have a tainted season when it didn't matter? How can you not have a tainted title when all of the best stars are injured and banged up and, and having ridiculous protocols, even though being asymptomatic? How can you possibly crown a legit champion? So I think Major League Baseball is going to be okay, even though last year was a tainted championship. I think the NHL is going to be fine. I could listen to the argument, but I think the NHL is going to be fine, even if you want to call it slightly tainted. But the NBA... The NBA last year, to me, the Lakers don't even have a championship. They, they don't even have one. That was completely tainted. And this year, I think no matter who comes out on top, it's going to feel tainted. It's going to feel like an unfair championship.
All right, guys, thank you again to Brian Hoke. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com.